morning, new community. Um, I wrote in my notes that it's good to be with you this morning, and it is good. Um, but one of the words I kind of picked up in the pandemic life when things just would keep happening is that things don't always feel good, but th they are important. And so this morning, it just feels good and important to be with you. Again, my name is Ruth Nakai, and I'm one of the ministry directors here at New Community. And I have the honor of sharing God's word with us today. These past few weeks at New Community, we have been focusing our attention on the person of Jesus Christ. Because we as a church began this past year saying that defiant faith is something we're going to commit to. And to truly live into this kind of faith requires us to fix our eyes on Jesus. Our brother Tim kicked us off at our, an, our, our, uh, our pilot in-person service, I guess. And he reminded us that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Not just theoretically, but even when all hope is lost. And last week, our sister Shana invited us to the truth that Jesus is the true vine. Our Lord who lovingly and purposefully prunes us and invites us to remain in him. And so today, we are going to continue gazing upon Jesus. But today's particular focus will be on the ministry of Jesus in the lives of two deeply disappointed disciples. As Emily Constance and I were discerning this past week um, what the service would look like, we, we've discerned that this particular, this story that I'm about to read was particularly relevant for our community in this moment in our congregational life. So I invite you right now to please turn in your Bibles to Luke 24, 13 to 35. And I will be reading this text in, in portions, so please follow along with your Bibles, and it will also be on the screen. But before we receive God's good word together, can I just pray for us? Good God. Good God. We thank you for being holy, for being set apart, even set apart from our own understanding. God, this morning I sense a seriousness in the congregation as we gather together. And I don't know what we are bringing to the table today, whether we are bringing sad hearts, angry hearts, distracted hearts. I don't know what we bring today, but Lord, I pray, God, that you would meet us where we are, that we don't have to put anything on the shelf as we sit in this sanctuary, but God, you will invite us to meet you fully as we are and fully with who you are. So God, this prayer, Lord, we ask, God, that you would keep our hearts open in this moment, that whatever we may be feeling, that whatever we may be sensing, that we would stay open because it is an openness that, God, you are able to meet us. So, God, meet us as we hear your word. Speak your good words over our souls. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The passage we're about to read today um, is focused on this dynamic interplay between Jesus and two of his disciples. This story takes place three days after Jesus had been murdered at the hands of the state. You see, Jesus was the one the Jews had been waiting for. Jesus was the one the Jews had hoped would turn things around and finally make things right for the Jewish people. But this Jesus had died. And three long days had gone by since his execution. 
And so it was at this point in time that two of Jesus' disciples decided to pack their bags and go home. Perhaps these disciples in the story had left everything to follow Jesus too, but it's as if defeat finally got the best of them and they said, show's over, go home. Let's read this text together. Luke 24, 13 to 21. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there the last few days. What things, Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles. He was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders had handed over to be condemned to death and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to Israel this all happened three days ago. Let's just pause for a moment and imagine what these two disciples were experiencing at this very moment. There's this question my therapist asks me, and it often goes like this. What are you feeling, and where in your body are you feeling it? See, the Jewish people believed that the Messiah was going to come one day and overthrow the political empire of its time and reestablish Israel as a nation, it had been hundreds of years since the Jewish people had had any kind of political autonomy as a nation. And for 14 generations, the Jewish people had maintained this belief that a Messiah would one day come. Their entire faith was organized around the belief that one day the Messiah would come. And so when Jesus came along, he was a very believable Messiah. They had heard about and witnessed the kind of power and influence Jesus had. I mean, even the evil spirits listened and obeyed him. And so they trusted Jesus to be the Messiah they had been hoping him for. They trusted him. They believed in him. And they were even willing to die for him. But then he died. And in their minds, Jesus just became another revolutionary man that got killed. What might these two disciples have been feeling? And where in their body might they have that feeling? Researchers describe disappointment as a form of sadness, a feeling of loss, an uncomfortable space, or a painful gap between our expectations and reality. Verse 21 says, we had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to is rescue Israel. The voice translation reads this. He sa it says, we had been hoping that he was the one, you know, the one who would liberate all Israel and bring God's promises. I have a pretty good feeling that you and I can identify with this feeling of disappointment. We can relate to this feeling that, of that painful gap between our expectations and our reality. I mean, 
When everything shut down last year, we had hoped, right? We had hoped to celebrate graduations, milestone birthdays together in community. We had hoped to take trips. We had hoped to start dating or at least meeting more people. We had hoped to witness births. We had hoped to bury our loved ones. But maybe we didn't have major hopes, but amidst so much change and uncertainty, we realized we actually did have one hope. We had hoped for some semblance of normalcy, right? Maybe this feeling of disappointment for us has not been unique to the past 15 months, but toward other things more personal, persistent, and pervasive. Like maybe it's, we had hoped to have a certain kind of marriage. We had hoped to have a certain kind of family. We had hoped for our job situation, job situation to pan out differently. We had hoped to see more significant change in the systemic evils that repeatedly and disproportionately disadvantage women, people of color, the poor, and so many other marginalized social identities. We had hoped, we had hoped, and we had hoped. Let's keep reading what else the disciples had to say to Jesus in this text. Verse 21. We had hoped he was Messiah, the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of his followers were at this tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing, and they had seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people. You find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering the glory, his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. As I read this text, I can't help but notice that these disciples weren't just deeply disappointed. I believe they were deeply disturbed. I'm not a mental health expert, but from what I'm learning these days about trauma, it's probably fair to say that the disciples in the story were likely traumatized. I mean, they had lived to witness an execution, not just of anyone, but of the one they believed was their Messiah. And the event was so disturbing that it overwhelmed their capacity to cope and to function. Let's remember that these disciples had a deep knowledge of the scriptures. It's what they grew up with. And so I wonder if in this moment they were experiencing so much psychological distress that they were unable to, on their own to make any sort of meaningful connections needed to recognize that Jesus was alive and that Jesus had come back from the dead and Jesus was literally next to them. Have you ever experienced something like that? where your emotional functioning was so impacted that you couldn't imagine any other reality except the one that you are living right in? Have you ever felt like your ability to recognize God in your life was weakened? A time where you were so overwhelmed that getting out of bed felt difficult? Maybe this is what you are experiencing now. Maybe thinking clearly feels like a luxury because all of the anxiety you feel in your body 
Or maybe this is something that described your experience this past year. This experience of when everything that is good, important, and right feels too, a little too far out of reach. For the disciples, thinking and believing in the supernatural work of God to raise Jesus from the dead was outside their paradigm. The task of imagining and understanding that resurrection was possible was just too far out of their reach. Let's keep reading. Verse 28 says, by this time they were nearing Emmaus and at the end of their journey, Jesus acted as if he was going on. But they begged him, stay the night with us since it's getting late. So he went home with them and as they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. And suddenly their eyes were open and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and he explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem, where they found the 11 disciples and the other who had gathered with them, who said, the Lord has really risen. He appeared to Peter. Then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they had recognized him as he was breaking the bread. I was recently reading a reflection on this passage by Ruth Haley Barton, and she says, she made this curious observation I had never noticed before. She says this, if we observe carefully, we might notice that there's an odd reversal taking place during this meal. Even though the disciples had invited Jesus into their home as their guest, by the time they sat down for dinner, Jesus was acting more like the host. Now, if I had invited someone to my home for the very first time and that person started to serve me and call the shots for dinner, uh, I would have been perplexed at best. (laughs) And if I can imagine the thoughts of the disciples they had in that moment, it might have gone something like this. Wait, what's going on here? Who does that? Who has the audacity to, who has authority to, wait. Jesus, right? You see, at this moment, a critical shift takes place. Because at that moment, there was a reversal in roles. In the beginning of the story and journey, Jesus took his cues from the disciples. He appeared as a stranger, tagging along, and he let them guide him in the conversation. And he went only as far as they were ready and willing to go. But Ruth Haley Barton continues to say, but when he, referring to Jesus, when Jesus took the bread in his own hand, blessed it, broke it, and started passing around, there was no no doubt who was in charge. With this act, he reclaimed his rightful place as their teacher, their Messiah, their risen Lord. And as the two disciples received the bread from his hand, they were receiving him back into their lives as Lord and Savior. It was at that precise moment that their eyes were opened and they were finally able to recognize Jesus for who he was. As we close out, I want to end with this really beautiful question a dear friend shared with me as I was preparing for this sermon. The question goes like this. Why 
am I, why are you really glad that this text is part of the Bible? What beautiful truth about God do you see revealed here? What do you love and what do you resist about that truth? The beautiful truth about God here is that God will go to great lengths to know us in the fullness of our hurt and disappointment. And that we too, so that we too might know God in the fullness of who God is. I'm going to say that again. The beautiful truth about God here is that God will go to great lengths to know us in the fullness of our hurt and our disappointment. That we too might know God in the fullness of who God is. Don't we all long to be fully known and be fully loved? To be fully seen in all our glory and all our mess and still to be fully loved as is? As we enter a time of reflection, prayer, and worship, I want us to remember that it's okay for our hearts to break. It's okay for our hearts to break because we learn from this text that it is in the heartbreak that Jesus meets us, teaches us, forms us, and serves us communion. And so as you pray and worship, I want to remind us that it is okay to let ourselves feel supremely disappointed. That it's okay when we come to the end of ourselves, when circumstances have overwhelmed our ability to cope and to function. That it's okay when the lack of stability and normalcy impede our ability to see God clearly. And it is okay because it is Jesus who forms us in our heartbreak. Not just after or before, but amid heartbreak. Jesus is not threatened by our disappointments. Rather, the good news is that God enters into our disappointment to show us that newness of life is possible even after death. Yes, the good news is that none of the spiritual formation is up to us alone, but it is God that orchestrates it. Because we remember in the story that the precise moment that they recognized Jesus was when the roles reversed, when Jesus became the host. And it's when the disciples had come to the end of the road and welcomed him into their home as their host that Jesus reclaimed his rightful place as their teacher, their Messiah, and their risen Lord. Cece's going to lead us in a song of response. And as you listen and pray through this song, I want you to ask yourself these questions. Is there a part of my life where I'm experiencing some level of disappointment? Is there a part of my life where I need to courageously ask God to help me recognize him? Where in my life might I be saturated with disappointment? Can I tell God about it? Is there a part of my life that God might be wanting to reclaim his rightful place as teacher, Messiah, risen Lord?
Lord, teacher Messiah, may we be fully known as you had made yourself fully known.